0: This is the Yahoo Finance Podcast. Thank you for listening. Yahoo Finance brought together some of the best minds in business for the All Market Summit held at the Oath Times Square office in New York City and via global live stream. This marquee event explored new challenges presented by the rapidly changing global economy. The following is a live panel from that day. Enjoy.
1: Arne Sorensen, CEO of Marriott. I want to jump right in. After your Starwood acquisition last year, you are now officially the largest hotel company in the the entire world. And just to put that in perspective for everyone, you have over one million rooms in over 110 countries. We were just talking, you're on the road over 200 nights every year. So you have as good a perspective as any on demand from consumers and from business people. GDP growth continues to be modest. Are we seeing strong demand from consumers and business travelers right now?
0: Well, first, uh, hello everybody, great, great to be with you all. Nice to be with you, Nicole. Um, the, uh, the, the numbers are a little bit big. One of the numbers I love is we're opening a hotel every 14 hours for the next three years. Wow. Uh, and and I, 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 sort of, I say that in part because it intimidates me as much, <laughs> as, as, much as it excites me. Uh, But there's a a lot going on out there, and when you talk about demand, it's important to think about it from a global perspective. Uh, We are in most regions of the world, most countries of the world, certainly most countries that have economies that are significant, and we see different things around the world. So China is very strong, India is very strong, uh, Europe is the strongest year we've had in probably since the Great Recession, uh, interestingly. Hmm. Uh, The United States continues to perk along at about the same pace it has for the last year or two. Uh, I wouldn't, notwithstanding the strength in the markets, I wouldn't say that the underlying economy, at least from the vantage point of our business, has increased materially.
1: And any key areas of concern in the U.S.? What keeps you up at night in terms of demand?
0: Not really. I mean, obviously, uh, September was a tough month with the natural uh, disasters that we went through. Uh, and, uh, you know, uh, starting, of course, in, in Houston, but then in uh, the, the Virgin Islands, Florida, and then, of course, uh, in Puerto Rico finally. And uh, the, the story in the Virgin Islands and Puerto Rico is a tough story. Yeah. Uh, we've got hotels that are not just still closed, but could be closed for a year or two. Uh, and uh, obviously that has an impact to our people there, which is uh, very tough, and you sort of try and navigate through that, figure out how to help them. Uh, that's obviously not fundamentally about demand and supply. That's about uh, just the, very much the human factor, which is yeah. important
1: to us. Yeah, it's certainly been a big story. In terms of demand and supply, though, on everyone's mind, continues to be Airbnb. Yeah valuation now standing over about $30 billion that's creeping up toward your market cap. How has Airbnb changed your business model as it's grown?
0: Yeah, it, ha- it hasn't had as dramatic an impact as I think most people would expect. Hmm. Uh, it is uh, clearly bringing uh, new travelers into the marketplace, which is a good thing. Uh, much of their uh, business is offering a lower priced stay uh, because it is a different quality stay. Uh, and those travelers before either maybe didn't travel, uh, or if they traveled, they maybe stayed with friends or family. Mm-hmm. Uh, that is not to say that there isn't some impact on us. Certainly, if if you can find a place to stay for less, some number of people are going to be attracted to that. But we've never been the lowest cost provider of lodging. Uh, we're not really playing in the budget space. We're not playing in the economy space. We've wanted to be in a place where we can offer a quality experience in a great location uh, that people will come back to over and over again. And I think most customers uh, will still say, okay, if I've got the money to spend on this trip, I'd just as soon have uh, that kind of experience. And so the business has been fine for us.
1: Online, though, continues to be a trend more broadly, particularly with travel. We've seen that massive shift to online booking. Um, our editor-in-chief Andy Sower is gonna be sitting down with Barry Diller shortly, chairman of Expedia. Loyalty is very important to you. You talk about that a lot. How do you balance that effort with the rise of search, which tends to be based around pricing and availability?
0: Yeah, Yeah. there is so much going on still in this space, even though it's been a really interesting place for 10 years or so. And Barry and I have known each other for a number of years because of the Expedia uh, Marriott sorts of conversations that have occurred. And I think a couple of things are important here. One, about 55% of our business globally is our loyalty members. Mm. Uh, So those are folks we know. Uh, They are invested in our program. They're earning points when they stay. They're getting free vacations when they come back. They're by and large business travelers. But some are regular leisure travelers as well. Where Expedia started, and the other online travel agents started, was in the uh, only seldom occasional leisure traveler. Mm who didn't really travel enough to invest in a brand or a loyalty system, who may not have known much about uh, brand names in the hotel space. Uh, And that customer is still valuable to us, but Expedia and the others are great partners in that space because they are delivering a customer that it's harder for us to get to directly. Okay. The challenges come from, as, the, as Expedia and Priceline and others have grown significantly, they of course want to continue to grow their business. So they want to get into business travel. And then then we start to get to the place where we have uh, a little bit of rivalry. Mm-hmm. Uh, frenemies is of course the phrase that's used over and over again. And we navigate through that. I think actually uh, we're navigating fairly well through that right now, but we are Uh, In some respects, even with our own product competitors in that overlapping space, even though we're good partners in the space where they really
1: have uh, unique expertise. Frenemies seems to be such an important term across all industries. Uh, When you talk about loyalty, you have such a range of brands. Many of us here are very familiar with them. Of course, Marriott, Courtyard, now Sheraton, St. Regis, the W, the Westin. How do you build each individual brand, but also build the overall Marriott family together?
0: So we have 30 brands today. I'm actually leaving here to go to a grand opening of the Moxie Hotel, which is on 7th and 35th. Come see it, it's a great <laughs> hotel, uh, which is a uh, essentially lifestyle economy product. So it, it will, it's a relatively small room, but, but a very al- alive place mm-hmm. uh, with a very uh, youthful sort of uh, mindset. Uh, customers, of course, of all ages, but it's got a, it's got a frivolity to it, which is uh, quite interesting. And I think globally, uh, going to be a very interesting brand. Uh, but with 30 brands, uh, to be fair, 20 of them Marriott started or acquired on its own. Another 10, roughly, came to us with a Starwood acquisition. The 20 we had longer term probably are more distinct because they were all developed in the same uh, sort of microcosm, if you will. Mm -hmm. The Starwood uh, brands land now in our portfolio, and some of them were head-to-head competitors against some of the Marriott brands. Mm -hmm. And so they weren't developed to be distinct. They were developed to to rival each other. Mm -hmm. And we've got to make sure we draw distinctions between those brands over time. Generally, though, our loyalty program is the way we go to market. So, if you're a Marriott Rewards member or an SBG member, uh, you've got, you're invested in our system. You're going to come to our site to book your room. Uh, if you're coming to New York, you, of course, live here, so you wouldn't be booking a room. But, but for others who are coming to New York, you get on and you would see 70 hotels open in Manhattan. It's an order of magnitude. Uh, you'd be looking at location. You'd be looking at the amount you want to spend. You might be looking at the sensibility of the hotel, maybe the purpose of your trip. Uh, And we want to make sure that that you've got enough choice within our system to not be tempted to go anywhere else.
1: One thing that stood out to me when looking at your initiatives is that you're moving into the cruise ship business, but not the way that most people think about cruise ships. Your yacht collection is going to set sail in 2019. It's an ultra-luxury focus. Does this reflect changes in our economy that the wealthiest of the upper class are, are getting even wealthier and that there's more demand for this sort of product?
0: Well, I I think it does. We think it's an interesting space. It's a Ritz-Carlton yacht, uh, and it's about 200 berths. So uh, compared to some of the cruise lines that are running, it's a tiny boat. Mm -hmm. Uh, It is still (laughs) substantial in any absolute sense. Obviously, the ultra, ultra rich are uh, taking their their own own two or 300 foot yachts, (laughs) uh, or maybe chartering them. And this is an experience which is not, not quite that. But it is a way of being on the sea, which people love. Uh, and having, at the same time, a luxurious and maybe um, a little bit more sense of exclusivity uh, than some of what you can get on the other uh, product which is out there.
1: I want to move on to a different topic, security. Uh, Many global companies have focused on security internationally, maybe more so than the U.S. Is there more work to be done in the U.S.? particularly given incidents of course like the tragic Las Vegas shooting when it comes to hotel and protecting your guests?
0: Yeah, the, the, uh, this is of course a tough space for us and we wanna make sure we're doing everything we can uh, to protect our guests and to protect our associates. Uh, and there are, different, there are different practices we use around the world. So in the highest risk zones around the world all of our customers will come through uh, airport-like security process uh, with metal detectors and, and uh, magnetometers and the rest of it. And actually even more, there will be dogs in front of the hotels that will uh, sniff, uh, will do vehicle searches, will do other things in order to make sure that we are doing what we can to protect those assets. In the United States, you know, in a place like New York, there have been times, obviously, where the the, uh, New York police have talked with us or other law enforcement and said, uh, we're hearing rumors, we're hearing uh, some noise about something which may be happening or an event which happens in Times Square, uh, and we are coordinated with them to do the best we can to to, uh, help them and have them help us. We don't generally, though, in the U.S. Uh, ever have uh, metal detectors and magnetometers in our hotels. Maybe if the U.S. president is showing up, uh-huh. there will be extra security. And, of course, when you get to an event like, like Las Vegas, uh, think about a couple of things. One, we have many states where there are right-to-carry laws, yeah. uh, which, which give uh, maybe even including our customers legal rights. Uh, But we also have hunters who pose no risk, uh, who are traveling with guns. We have uh, gun shows around the country that happen all the time. How do do you interact with with that business? And there it's probably mostly about uh, the softer things. It's about training, it's about making sure associates are keeping their eyes open. Uh, It is about things like how often do housekeepers go into rooms uh, when even if that do not disturb sign is on the room Uh, and you know we do all the things to do the best we can in that space and then we pray.
1: Another trend uh, anti-globalism rhetoric really seems to have increased. We talk a lot about globalism. I know you've talked a lot about this as a global business. Are you seeing any effects when it comes to travel? given some of this rhetoric that's gone on both here in the U.S. and internationally. Yeah. Yes.
0: Uh, the U.S. is today losing share of international travel. Wow. Uh, so, uh, and I could, I could go on for too long here, so, so cut in, Nicole, but the, yes. the, um, before 9-11, uh, the U.S. had about 11 or 12 percent of long-haul international travel. In other words, 11 or 12 percent of all that business landed and stayed in the United States. After 9-11, of course, we beefed up security. We ended up losing some share. There's no surprise there. And obviously, there's an important need to protect security and uh, do other things like that. But we ended up in uh, 2016, say, with about 75 million international visitors to the United States. Mm -hmm. If we had the same share we had before 9-11, we probably would have had 110 million or 115 million, incremental 30 million or so visitors, which by itself would drive a million jobs in the United States. Uh, Now in 2017, what we're seeing is that there is a shift of international travel increasingly towards Europe, mm. uh, maybe within Asia. Uh, the rest of the world is hearing what uh, too many of the voices which are coming out of the United States as, in effect, you're really not welcome here.
1: Wow.
0: Uh, it might be difficult for you to get a visa. Uh, you maybe need to wonder about the experience you're going to have there. And I don't know that that's what the administration or anybody else intends the message to be, Mm. but that's the way the message is heard in the rest of the world.
1: Speaking of the administration, a last question for you because we are focusing so much on tax reform these days, a priority for the administration. Certainly you've talked about your support for corporate tax reform, but I want to ask you a specific question. Yes, it might help your bottom line, but will it specifically prompt you to invest in your business and hire more workers? or is it just gonna be more cash on hand to buy back stock? How how committed would you be to doing something like raising minimum wages or raising the wage for your lowest income employees or hiring more workers?
0: I I think uh, when you look back over the last 20 years or so, the corporate community has tended to overstate uh, the impact of tax tax reduction on investment in their business. Uh, From our perspective, we're not cash starved, Uh, we have plenty of resources and therefore where we've got an opportunity to invest and it makes sense with our business model, we're investing. On the other hand, we have uh, trillions of dollars outside the United States today, uh, owned by U.S. companies which cannot come back to the United States without a tax penalty which is uh, economically unwise. And we are seeing new companies get start up and pick domiciles other than the United States. Because if they have global ambitions, they're better off not being domiciled in the US, but being domiciled someplace else. If we had tax reform, that money would come back. Use Marriott as an example. Money would come back to the United States. Uh, We probably wouldn't incrementally invest, but we would return it to our shareholders. Our shareholders are 95%. U.S. shareholders, would you that hire, money gets back in the U.S. economy. Would
1: you hire more employees or or uh, raise wages for employees? Uh,
0: no. I think what happens here is the money comes back, gets invested in the U.S. economy, the U.S. economy grows, uh, and with its growth, we end up building more hotel, hotels and hiring more people.
1: Very interesting. Arnie Sorensen, CEO of Marriott, thank you so much for being here. Thank you again for listening to the Yahoo Finance Podcast. Please rate, review, and subscribe on Apple Podcasts or wherever you find your podcasts.